Good morning, you guys. Good to see you. Thank you for being here. Hey, Christians say weird stuff, don't we? Christians say weird things. Like, we speak English just like everybody else around us, but the English words and phrases that we use, honestly, we know what they mean, but people outside of the church, I just have a sense that they look at us and they're like, what are you guys even talking about? So as an example, maybe you've heard this before, Christians will often pray for someone and they'll ask God to place a hedge of protection around them. You've heard that before? A hedge of protection. Now, we know what they mean. We mean God, you know, just like protect them from any outside evil or harm or anything like that. But I just imagine people outside of the church are like, like a bush? That's, that's the best God can do? That thing that like a house cat can make its way through without any trouble, that's the most protection God can offer? I mean, I don't know. We know what it means, but it's got to sound weird to other people. Here's another example, and we're really guilty of this one at Connect Church. You've definitely heard this around our church before. We say or we talk about doing life together. Doing life together, okay? And listen, when we say that, what we're talking about is being in healthy biblical community with one another. It's a great thing. It's wonderful. You should be doing life together. The problem is how that probably sounds to people outside of the church because you know who else is doing life together inmates okay (laughs) inmates it sounds like we have a life sentence we are doing life together it's like we'll be here forever okay hey here's one more silly example maybe you've heard somebody in the church say something like he's on fire for jesus just so on fire for jesus and People who are not in the church typically have got to be like, what, like on fire? Is this NBA jam or something? You know, you pray three days in a row and then you get special powers that let you dunk on Satan. What does it mean to be on fire for Jesus? We have all of these phrases that honestly have got to sound very strange to people outside of the church and maybe even to some of you that are inside of the church as well. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to take a phrase that you have definitely heard around here at Connect Church, and I really want to examine it. I want to break it apart and define it and celebrate it because although this is a very common phrase for you to hear in our services, my fear is that many of us are familiar with it, but we can't define it. We kind of know it's important, but we don't understand why it's so very important. And here's the truth. This actually might be the most important word or phrase that's written in the entire Bible. Apparently, there are just under a million words in the English Bible. I don't know whose job it was to sit down and count all of those. It sounds really miserable, but somebody did it, and they tell us the English Bible has just under a million words. And this word or phrase, it actually might be the most important one. And in fact, we could say that our faith rises and falls on our understanding of this particular word, that if we don't really understand what it means, we might not actually be Christians. It is that important to our faith. See, it doesn't matter if you understand what a Christian is talking about when they talk about traveling mercies. That's another one of those weird things we say. Or if somebody says that, oh, she's backsliding right now. That's not as cool as moonwalking, by the way. It's not a dance move or anything. It's something totally different. The deal is there are lots of things that Christians say that if you don't understand it, okay, no big deal. But this one matters. If you don't get this one right, you might end up uh, missing out on the whole point of our faith. So what is this super duper important phrase? Well, I spoiled it because it's been on the screen for like three and a half minutes. The gospel. The word is gospel. 
Everything depends, rises and falls on our understanding of the gospel. At Connect, we talk about believing the gospel. I stand on stage every week and I preach the gospel. We invite you to accept the gospel. We say we are a gospel above all church. It's the most important thing. It's the reason we exist and what we're doing every single week. But what does the word gospel even mean? Where does it come from? Why is it valuable? And most importantly, even, what does it matter for you? Gospel. Well, first off, gospel is a biblical word. You probably know that. It occurs about a hundred times throughout the scriptures, most obviously in the New Testament, but there are actually some instances and occurrences of the word gospel in the Old Testament, which is a little surprising for people to hear because they typically think of gospel as a New Testament word, but it's in there in the Old Testament as well. Let me give you one example out of many. Second Thessalonians chapter number two, verses 13 to 14. This is written by a guy named Paul. He was a missionary and he's writing to Christians in ancient Greece. And he says to them, we are always thankful that God chose you from the beginning to experience salvation, a salvation that came through the spirit who makes you right with God and through your belief in the truth. Now catch this last sentence. He called you to salvation when we told you the gospel. There's the phrase. And now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this word gospel is found throughout the Bible in verses just like this one. But what does that word gospel even mean? Well, although this is kind of a religious word, the only time you're ever going to hear anybody in 2021 talk about the gospel is inside of church. It actually has a really simple definition. The word gospel simply means good news. That's it. That's all the word gospel means. The most important word, probably in the entire New Testament, it simply means good news. So anytime you read the scripture or you hear a preacher on stage and they say the word gospel, you can substitute that word with the phrase good news, and it might give you a better understanding of what they're talking about. So let's look back at 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse 14, the passage we just read. Paul says, God called you to salvation when we told you the good news, the gospel, and now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus. When you read the gospel according to Matthew, for instance, what you're reading is the good news according to the apostle Matthew. When we invite you on Sunday to accept the gospel, we're saying, hey, will you believe and embrace the good news that the New Testament announces? So look, in just a moment, I'm going to share with you what the gospel is, because we can, we can talk about the word, we can define what it means, but what is the good news itself? We're going to talk about that in a moment. But before I do, I need to be sure you understand what the gospel is not. See, in 2021, we have a tendency to define the word gospel not as good news, but instead as good advice. There's a difference between those two. We don't look at it as good news. We tend to look at it as good advice, all right? So um, I went to the the dictionary. In fact, I went to the Cambridge Dictionary because you guys know British people, they, they invented this language. So we'll take their definitions on what these words mean. And I looked up the word advice. And the word advice, the, the definition of it is this. It's an opinion, an opinion that someone offers you on what you should do or how you should behave in a particular situation. Listen, too many people in our world believe the gospel is all about how you should behave, what you should do, 
what you should not do. It's an opinion on what God wants from every single one of you. We treat the gospel as if it is good advice. It's not what the New Testament calls it, though. When we think about the gospel, a lot of people, even in Connect Church, I'm afraid, we think the gospel is all about how to be a happier person, how to be the best husband or wife you could be, how to pray and get what you want from God. <laughs> oh, man, yep. How, how, to deal, how to deal with disappointment. All of that is advice. It's an opinion on how you should feel or think or say or do in any given situation. The problem is, if advice, if, if the scripture is nothing more than advice, and advice is really just an opinion, how many of you guys know that opinions are like earlobes, okay? Everybody's got at least one. <laughs> Some of you get the joke. The truth is, okay? We tend to look at the gospel as if it is one set of principles or advice on how you should live in the world. But if the gospel is nothing more than advice, then it's one possibility. It's one opinion. It's one worldview. It's one religion amongst many. Everybody on the planet has an opinion, and our opinions tend to conflict with one another and compete with one another. So if that's all the message of Jesus is, it's good advice, it's no wonder that too many people reject it, because it's just one bit of advice that exists amongst a whole lot. But the Bible does not call the message of Jesus good advice. The Bible says that it is good news. And there is a difference between those two. So if advice is how you should feel or act in a particular situation, the same dictionary defines news as an announcement that something noteworthy has happened, and as a result, life is different. An announcement that something has happened, and as a result, there is a new reality that exists because of that event that transpired. Now, I told you a moment ago that gospel is a, is a religious word in our minds today. But the word that's translated as gospel in the New Testament was not a religious word at all. And in fact, you wouldn't hear it often in churches. You would hear it out and about in the world. So every single person who was alive around the time of Jesus was very familiar with the phrase gospel or good news. In fact, like Roman emperors in the New Testament times, they would often publish gospels, good news, announcements, proclamations of things that had happened. So you would go into the town square and there would be like a papyrus and it would be nailed to some post somewhere and it would be a gospel from the Caesar. It would be an announcement maybe of a royal birth or the end of a war or the coronation of a new king. And the point was to communicate to everybody who heard the gospel that there was an event that transpired and as a result, the world is now a different place. There is a new king in charge, or we are finally at peace, or today and for the foreseeable future, we are now at war. An event took place, and after the announcement, the proclamation of that good news, or that news, the world has now changed. Now listen, it's important that you understand these announcements were not advice. 
It was literally a pronouncement of something that had happened. And we've experienced this like in our own world as well. I'm not going to use any recent examples because I don't want anybody to get triggered in the service, okay? But we have had events that have occurred, and from that moment on, the world was a very different place. So we can go back, not too terribly far, and, and think about like the, the moment that scientists told us that they had split the atom. Up until that point, we didn't even know it was possible. We thought the atom was the smallest thing that existed, and it turns out you could break it open and all this other crap spills out, all right? You find out that you could actually harness the energy from breaking the atom either for great effect positively or for great devastation negatively. We actually define, sociologists define the time before splitting the atom and the time after. As soon as they announced what had occurred at the Manhattan Project, we entered the atomic age. Things were different as a result of that event that took place. Think in the, in the same time frame, the announcement of World War II ending. That was a huge moment. And from that point on, the world as we knew it changed. It was a different place. There is an event that occurred, and after the announcement has gone out that the event has occurred, the world becomes a different place. And you've experienced this personally as well. Think about that moment that you got the announcement that you were going to have your first baby. From that moment on, from that piece of good news, nothing was ever the same. You had new priorities, new responsibilities. You couldn't go out on the weekends anymore. Life changed after you got that piece of good news. So my friends, it is so very important that you understand this. The message of Christianity is not good advice. It is good news. It's not, this is what God wants. This is how he wants you to behave. Instead, the message of Christianity is something has happened. And as a result of that event, everything is different. And so when we hear gospel, when we think gospel, when we believe the gospel, we're not believing advice or philosophy or religion. We are believing that an event has transpired by which the world has changed. We've been ushered into a new way of life. And listen, if you reject the gospel, you're not rejecting an opinion or advice or a way of living, you are rejecting reality in and of itself. Because reality exists whether we believe in it or not. And the New Testament claims that there is a reality that was inaugurated 2,000 years ago, and we live in it today. The gospel is an announcement of good news. But that still doesn't tell us what the good news is, does it? So what is the good news that's recorded in the Bible? Well, in order to know that, you actually have to go all the way back to the beginning. And that's because every single page of the Bible is a part of the story of the good news. And that's why I told you and I highlighted the fact that the word gospel actually occurs a couple places in the Old Testament because it's not like, okay, God was telling one story in the Old Testament and then he had to change things up and now he's telling a different story in the New Testament. The gospel goes all the way back to the beginning. And what we read in the very first page of the Bible is that in the beginning, God created everything that exists. And I personally believe that God created everything that exists through both natural and supernatural means. 
You can read into that whatever you want to. If you want to send me some emails, that's fine. We can have a conversation. God did it how he wanted to do it. And that could encompass a bunch of different things, okay? God created everything. And at the, as the pinnacle of his creation, he made man and woman, humanity together to be his image bearers. And God chose Adam and Eve, the first representative, uh, representatives of humanity. And he says, you are going to be co rulers over all of creation with me. You are going to rule alongside of me, steward, care for this amazing creation that I have made. The problem is Adam and Eve were not interested in being co-rulers. They wanted to be rulers straight up. They were like, yeah, God, I know you kind of gave us these rules and these are the boundaries and stuff, but like we want to be in charge. And so they made a power grab. That's really what it was. I mean, we tend to look at this as kind of a silly mythological story, eating the apple and all that sort of jazz. But when you get right down to it, this is ultimately a power grab. It's saying, God, we don't need you to tell us what we should do. We're going to decide for ourselves what we should do. It not only fractured their relationship with God, but it also fractured their relationship with one another. So now we've got people who are in rebellion against God, and we read how their relationship starts to experience conflict. And by the way, let me just say, this is not just a story that happened in ancient history a long time ago. This is a story that happens today. You realize that, right? The story of the first people is the story of all people. The story of Adam and Eve is the story of Dan and Amber and everybody else on the planet as well. We are guilty of the same sins they are. We want to be in control. We don't want to co-rule. We want to rule. We don't need God. We just need God to give us all the things we want, okay? And so we are guilty of the exact same thing. And what happens is there is a fracturing of our vertical relationship, and there's a fracturing of our horizontal relationships as well. And the reason is because after the fall happens in Genesis chapter number 3, Everybody knows that something has gone wrong. Everybody on our planet today knows, yeah, things are not quite right with the world. The problem is there are as many opinions, there's that word again, there are as many opinions about what is wrong with our world and what needs to be done in order to fix it as there are people in the world. Everybody's got their own opinion on what has gone wrong. And so here's what happens. And stay with me here, okay? We're going to touch on some spicy stuff in the next couple of minutes, and I'm doing it intentionally. So buckle up and know that it's coming. We, so the, the scripture in the story the scripture tells, the reality that exists, the problem is us, all of us together. But because of our brokenness, because of our sinfulness, we tend to say the problem is not us, the problem is them. The problem is them. And so if those people would just get themselves right, if they would just understand wh why they're wrong, what's going wrong, if they would just stop being who they are for one minute, everything would be okay. This is true. If you pay attention, you will hear these sorts of narratives everywhere. Do you want to know what the problem with our world today is? It is liberals, seriously. What is the matter with them? They, they just want to take all of our money and they want the government to control everything. And like, I can't, I can't deal with it. They're the problem. And if they would just quit being liberal, whew, finally, we would have a great world. No, you know who the problem is? It's conservatives. 
Oh my goodness. You see this guy in charge right now? How could you have voted for him? How can you have that kind of platform? How can you vote on those sorts of issues? That's the problem. Conservative people. And if people would just stop being conservative and start being liberal, then everything would be okay. You know what the problem with our world today is? Men. Down with the patriarchy. I got some loud amens on that one. You had your chance, fellas, and you screwed it up for thousands of years. We're not going to take it anymore. We're rising up. It's the feminist time. If you put a woman in charge, there will be no more wars. Everybody will be happy. Nobody will hate anybody. It's time for men to go away. No, you want to know what the problem is? The problem is women. They need to learn their place. They need to do what the Bible says. They need to stay home and take care of families. And if women would just quit trying to be men, our world would be okay. You want to know who the problem is in our world today? Minorities. Immigrants coming here and trying to steal all our jobs. They don't share our culture and values. They don't even speak our language. If we would close down the borders then we could protect our world, our society, our country, and finally things would be okay. No, you know who the problem is? White people. You guys are the problem. Dear white people, your fragility has gone too far. And it's, your time has passed. We're going to let the minorities take over because we're going to be able to do what you failed at. Now, you want to know who the problem is in our world. The problem in our world is atheists, those God-hating atheists. And if they would just put their faith in Jesus, all the problems would go away. No, it's not the atheists. Actually, it's religious people. Do you know that religion is the cause of every single war on the planet? Anytime anybody's ever gotten mad about anything, it's because of religion, I'm sure, somehow, some way. So if we just got rid of religion, then everything would be okay. One more. You want to know who the problem is? Boomers. It's not 1962 anymore, Grandma. The problem is you guys won't move along. You're stuck in the past, the good old days. You're trying to make the world great again and trying to bring us back here. No, really, the problem is Gen Z, okay? Those guys are the problem with their devious licks. Some of you guys don't know what a devious lick is. You need to ask your kids or grandkids. It's not dirty, but it's awful. I'll tell you that much. Gosh, I might agree that's one of the world's problems, okay? You see what I'm saying? When everybody has an opinion and we don't accept the reality, we just take the advice that we've swallowed from whoever looks like us or sounds like us or whatever. We stop looking at ourselves as the issue and we start pointing the finger at all of them. This division gives way to hatred and hatred becomes violence. I want you to understand, the, the thing that happened in Genesis 3 was the fall, okay, the breaking of a, horizontal, or a vertical relationship between humanity and God. And then the very next significant event that occurs is recorded in Genesis 5, and it is Adam and Eve's younger son murdering their older son. Do you know that those two events are not independent of each other? The breaking of horizontal relationships in our world 
is caused by, tied to, it is part and parcel with the breaking of the vertical relationship that we are all guilty of. So here we go. The bad news is that we are all sinners and we have made a mess of this world. The problem isn't them. The problem is me. The problem is us and our, our desire to wrestle control from God and to be in charge of our own lives and to be willing to step on and over one another in order to make it happen. All right. Again, that's the bad news. And there are some churches that stop there. You show up on Sunday morning. They're like, you're a dirty sinner and you're going to hell. That's not good news. <laughs> the Bible promises that the New Testament announces good news. So what is the good news? Well, the good news is that in response to all of our rebellion and to all the chaos that we've created in the world, God could have done any number of things. God could have looked down at us and he's like, well, that experiment failed. You know, I guess I should try again on some moon of Jupiter with a new group of people. I'm just going to let them do their thing and I'm going to start over with somebody else. He could have done that. He could have invaded earth and crushed some skulls and laid down the smack on the rebellion. You know what I mean? He could have come conquering and judging. But instead, the Bible says, God does invade our world, but rather than doing it as a judge or a general, he comes as a humble carpenter named Jesus. That Jesus lives on this earth for 30 some odd years. He ministers for a little over three years. And during that time, Jesus shows us what could have been if we had not rebelled against our creator. Every single one of us could have lived a life like Jesus if we had just stayed close to God. How great would that be to live on a planet with like 8 billion Jesuses? That would be incredible. This would be a pretty good place to live, okay? But that's not what happened. And so Jesus shows us what could have been. And if we're not careful, then we can start to say, okay, so the gospel then, the good news is really just advice. And if you want to make the world a better place, and if you want to go to heaven when you die, if you want to have a relationship with God, then you need to behave like Jesus behaved. You need to say what Jesus said and talk to people the way Jesus did and do the things that Jesus did, right? But again, this is not good advice. This is good news. So what happens is, Jesus comes into a world full of rebellion, people who have rejected God and people who have gone to war with one another. And instead of just crushing that rebellion through violence and force, he, does, he inverts that whole trope and he allows himself to be crushed by the rebellious people. Rather than coming and crushing the rebellion, God shows up and allows himself to be crushed by the rebellion. Guys, that is the stupidest, most ridiculous, insane thing on the planet. If you reject Christianity and it's because of that, I understand. Because the whole idea that God would come to earth and allow people to kill him is so insane that either it's true and it changes everything or Christians are out of their mind. So Jesus is crucified. He dies in the worst way that humanity has ever invented. We have invented some bad ways to kill one another. Crucifixion is at the top of the list. The Bible says on Friday, Jesus is crucified. And that in that moment, God really takes the worst that humanity has to offer. The worst punishment we can devise. The most evil and hatred that we could ever come up with. I mean, like, there are some people that you kind of understand why you might hate them. They're just difficult, awful people, right? 
Jesus was not a difficult, awful person. He was the best person that ever lived. He was perfect, and yet we still murdered him. So the scripture says he was crucified on a Friday, and he was placed in a borrowed tomb. Why was it borrowed? Because he wasn't planning on using it for very long. On Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, we call it, Jesus conquered death. And in so doing, he conquered the violence and the sin and the rebellion and the hatred that led to his crucifixion. And what this goes even further to tell us is that God was not only overcoming the sin that led to Jesus' death and the sin that caused Jesus to experience what he did, but God is overcoming all the sin that you and I experience every day. All the chaos and hurt and heartache that exists in our world, God is overcoming every single bit of it through Jesus and the resurrection. That is the good news. The event that happened after which everything has changed. Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ is coming again. The New Testament, the message of Jesus, the thing that we're inviting you to accept is not good advice, it is good news. It is embracing what God said happened and all the implications of it. So the question now becomes, what are you going to do with the good news? How are you going to respond to the gospel? If you're here and you're like, well, Dan, I, I believe the gospel. I've already accepted it. I know I'm a Christian and I believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead for my sins. Then on Thanksgiving weekend, I think it would be so appropriate for you to just express gratitude to God for what he did on our behalf through Jesus. Like not just today and not just for this hour, but I mean for the whole weekend and then, hey, for the weeks and months to come. God, thank you for the good news and what it did for me. Now, if you're here and you say, Dan, I haven't accepted the gospel. I haven't understood it and I haven't ever embraced it myself. I want you to really consider why that is for just a moment. I'm not asking you if you go to church because obviously you've come to church at least once or twice. I'm not asking you if you believe in God in some vague kind of general sort of way. I'm asking you, have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because if you don't, then you are missing the message. And one of my deep fears, I mean this sincerely, one of my deep fears is that Connect Church could create people who are close to being Christians, but not Christians. People who hang out around Christians, but never become believers. And so this morning, I wanna give you the opportunity to accept Jesus, to embrace and believe the good news and everything that comes along with it. So I'm gonna ask everybody that's here, just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. And if you say, hey, that's me, Dan, I am accepting Jesus. I am planting my flag with him. Today's the day I'm gonna make this thing official. Then I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, today I accept the good news. I know that I'm a sinner and I've done wrong in my life, but I believe that Jesus lived and died so that my sins could be paid for. Thank you, God, for loving me so much. And today I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. My friends, if you just prayed that prayer for the very first time, I want you to know 
life is different. You have entered a new reality than you walked in. And we want to know about it. We want to pray for you. We want to celebrate. We want to help answer questions you might have. So I'm going to encourage you to grab that connection card that's on the seat back in front of you. Whether you are a first-time guest or you've been here for a long time, if you made a decision today, please mark it down on a card and then turn it into the guest center in the back. Again, the only reason is so I know who's making decisions. I can pray for you and I can help you as you walk through this spiritual journey. All right. And then the final group of people that I'll talk to are the ones who say, no, Dan, I've never accepted the gospel and I'm not ready to accept the gospel today. I'm just, that's not me. I'm not ready to do that. And I want to ask you to ask yourself, why? What is it that's holding you back from accepting the good news? What is it that's keeping you from giving your life over to Christ? And for some of you, it could be questions about faith, could be doubts about the Bible, could be a horrible past church experience that you're struggling to get over. And I want to do everything I can to help you to take your steps closer so that you can make this decision and give your heart and life to Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I want to make myself available to you over the next week or so. I want to have a conversation with you and try to answer questions. I want to hear your story. I want you to understand who God is and the plan that he has for you and for everybody else. So on the screen is my email address. This is my personal email address. Please don't sign me up for any like email lists or anything like that. You're like, this will be a funny prank. Not so much. Okay. Let me have a conversation with people who are like, Dan, I think I might be, I, I could, but I really need to, I need to talk through some of this stuff. Send me an email and we can have a phone call or we can get together and have coffee and I'll do my very best to help get you to the point that you're ready to make a decision and to embrace the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for each and every person that's here. But most importantly, we thank you for the good news. We thank you for what you did for us in Jesus by dying in our place and rising from the dead to conquer our sin. And Lord, I just pray that every single day we wake up with the knowledge that we live in a new world in which things are different. Hope is alive. We have the chance, God, to make an eternal difference through Christ and what he has done for each and every one of us. And so I pray specifically for those that have not yet made decisions, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would hound them. Just stay on them, God. Stay after them to the point that, God, they have to have conversations until they are ready to make this choice one way or another, Father. Thank you again for your blessings and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 